The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. This is Ken Smith. Certified Financial Planner and CEO of Empirical Wealth Management, sitting next to Ethan Broga, Certified Financial Planner with a Master's Degree in Financial Planning. He is a financial planning virtuoso. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Good to be here. <laughs> this show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. If you have questions or uh, Issues you'd like us to share on on the program, you can give us a call during the show. It's we are we are broadcasting live up atop the Empirical Towers in downtown Seattle, and you can call in on the show at eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero, eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. And if you'd like to, if you're an individual investor or a financial advisor out there, what can we do for him, Ethan? We can do lots of things. Um, if you'd like to get together and, and talk perhaps uh, about your portfolio, maybe get a second opinion on how things are set up for you. Uh, maybe you're looking toward retirement. Uh, lots of decisions around there we can help with. Uh, we'd love to get together and go over things with you one-on-one here. And as Ken said, you can reach us here directly at Empirical at uh, 206-923-3474. That's our direct line to our, our company headquarters here. And if you're outside of local area, you can call us at one 800 923 4307 sounds like calls are flooding in already. Simon is manning the phones. That's 1 800 923 4307. You can certainly email Ethan or I. My email address is ksmith at empirical.net. E M P I R I C A L dot net. And what's yours? E Broga? That's it. There you go. E Broga. Uh, would love to take a look at what you're doing. Uh, very few times we review someone's investment plan or financial plan that we can't make helpful suggestions. And uh, we are fiduciary advisors, Ethan, mm-hmm. which means you know, we, we're not putting our own interest ahead of yours. We're looking to put your interest ahead of ours in coming up with the solutions. We are fee-only as well as advisors, so we don't receive commissions from various in product, brokerage products mm-hmm. or insurance products. Um, when we do charge our clients, it's a very clear clearly stated fee which is either an hourly fee for doing planning work or a uh, percentage of the assets under management that we do yep and in this case as a listener of the show we're not going to charge you anything to evaluate your situation also ethan if you do email us a question we were just speaking with uh some of our 
our uh, associates here, very qualified associates, Julian Lynn. Uh-huh. And uh, we were talking about the books. You were saying don't let go of those autographed books. But we have some we have some copies. <laughs> That's true. We have some good copies of uh, a tasty beverage. Right? <laughs> it's parched so already. I you barely even just said be, it. It's right, exactly right. Yeah. yeah, we have a couple books. Well, several books. I think we have thirty or forty books uh, signed by Larry Swedrow. He was uh, a guest on our show. Well, it's probably been six, we six or seven. Ask him ago. to come back on. We we haven't really invited anyone on recently. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. It's all been about about it's it's all been about Ethan. But let's bring in some <laughs> other guests. Uh, right. Why not? But it, it is in the archives. If you go to our show um, page. You'll find it. You can link to it from our, I think, from our homepage, and then there's yeah, the radio right. archives and all the interviews of the academics and authors. And Larry's in there at least a couple of times. Mm-hmm. He's one of our favorite authors. So if you do email us um, and say anything, we'll be happy to send you a free copy of that. And it's signed. It's a, it's an officially yeah, signed, signed. Uh, book by Larry. So yeah, and. Uh, if you're one of the first 50 callers, we'll have Ethan sign it as well. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> hey, you know, someday maybe that could be worth something. Right now, I, I'm not too sure. Well, Ethan, let's talk about what's going on in the market. Is it a frenzy? I know last week when I was out of town, you, you said you did discuss on the program mm-hmm. um, some of the material we were putting together about market reaching new peaks and new right. high. And uh, certainly very interesting as I, uh, Eric had forwarded me an article that we'll cover today about uh, the success of hedge funds. Actually, let's take a look. Uh, Bloomberg, he sent me an article that was published in Bloomberg, Risk Aversion Puts Hedge Funds Behind S&P 500. And uh, there's an index that tracks global hedge funds. Um, Yeah. And uh, basically, the article, Ethan, says that because hedge fund managers have been hesitant to buy stocks following the 57% drop in the S&P 500, that began back in October of 2007 mm-hmm. to the bottom in 2009, March 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, hedge funds are paying the price for being too hesitant to buy stocks in the midst of a four-year bull market. And if you look at the chart, um, I, I, th- I think it's kind of quite interesting, Ethan, because during the period of time that uh, the market dropped, this hedge fund, that hedge fund index dropped almost as much as the S&P 500 index. You know, I, I would. It looks like here, just from a chart, that it, from there, the, the peak of the hedge fund to the bottom of the hedge fund pricing, it did probably on percentage basis. I'm guessing, right? Or does it, does it say that in the article here? I don't have that data in the article. It's just a very brief article, yeah. and they don't go into the details. But if you're just looking at the the level, yeah, yeah, um, I'm, I'm assuming that they shored that up where these are relative. The drops should be the relative because they're different index levels, but right. Um, I'm sure they accounted for that. And uh, the interesting thing about all this hedge fund talk, we've talked about it many times, but I don't think we can revisit it too many times. But it, these things were really sold heavily after the the, the technology bubble and early after the 2000. That's right. Uh, early 2000 decline in stocks from the uh, tech bubble. A lot of a lot of our local competition was running around peddling these hedge funds as if they were the greatest thing. They've been around for a long time. I think there's been a hedge fund that's actually been around or was started back in the 30s and the 40s. Hmm. Um, so there's nothing new about them. It's just the idea or the concept around them was that, hey, these are not correlated to the stock market. So when the market's going down, uh, you want to have this special thing in your portfolio that won't go down. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the way they, they often package them is, hey, well, the, the returns um, may be a little less than, than an aggressive stock market index, for example, but you don't have the volatility. Right. And, and they're non in the, the industry jargon that all these vendors love to use is non-correlated assets. Mm-hmm. They're non-correlated. It just means that they don't move up and down in perfect tandem with the stock market. But there's other things that don't move up and down with stocks perfectly either, like bonds. That That's are true. extremely liquid, that are extremely transparent, that can be extremely tax efficient, depending on how we place them, which bonds we're using, mm-hmm. um, and also have incredible transparency and are extremely inexpensive. So while they are plain vanilla, and they're not much to talk about at cocktail parties, the kind that you hang out at, Ethan. That's true. I never talk um, about bonds at cocktail parties. Right. But you do attend a lot of cocktail parties. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, they're not that exciting, but there are, there are many ways to, um, to skin a cat, I guess, is the saying you like to use. Either. But um, hedge funds are probably the worst <laughs> of those. I'm an animal lover myself, so I would never do that. But um, there are there are more you're, effective you're ways we've, we've talked about of of uh, reducing risk or adding what we're calling non-correlated asset classes. And back in the early 2000s, when we looked at this, the issues I was continuously running into with these things were extremely expensive. So even if you overcame the empirical data on active managers or professional managers, even individual investors, the odds of them going out and beating the stock market by outsmarting the market, you know, not doing it by t- just simply taking more risk, but just doing it by outsmarting the market. Right. Those, the odds of doing that, as we've talked about over and over again, are, are incredibly low. But yeah. let's say there are a few good managers, um, and even Fahm and French, who have done all kinds of research, academics have done all kinds of research on, on this, this topic. Let's say there are a few good managers out there, um, but one of the problems is identifying them in advance. Who's going to be the next great manager? Well, it's a huge problem. But a separate from that is when there is talent, they tend to quickly absorb all of the extra performance with their fees. Mm-hmm. So the better the manager has been in the past, the more they want to get paid, which in in the traditional sense of running a company or starting a company or doing a business, that makes a lot of sense. If I can bring value, I should be able to demand a higher, a higher compensation structure. The opposite side of that is that when you're the investor, if if I demand higher compensation that takes away all the the additional value, then it's not such a good deal. And if it, if I do that to a degree where you actually are earning less, that's even worse. And so when you get through these things and you look at the cost structure, most of them have a fixed percentage cost, but then they have a performance. Uh, participation. Right. Then they have a lot of these strategies have very high turnover, mm-hmm. um, and they may be using um, derivatives and a lot of things with their trade. Then there's the tax cost if this is taxable money. And by the time I got through that, not even getting to the fact that you have very little transparency, understanding of what you're holding at any one point, how much you're being leveraged, mm-hmm. um, which can be an enormous amount of drop. All, all these issues led us to avoid them. And when you look at what happened from 2003 on on this chart, you know, the stock market um, doing much better up until the point where you hit 2007 here. And hedge funds only did marginally better. When they went, This index went down 
like I said, almost as much as the S&P 500. And you had a lot of people who wanted to get money or needed to get money out of hedge funds back then. When we had Larry Swadro on our yeah. program, he mentioned this. They couldn't get out of these funds because of their their lockup periods or their liquidity. They, a lot of them have a right to say, hey, we're Let not. Let me out of here! Exactly. Yeah. Both these people. So here you have the results that over the entire period now, almost a decade in this graph, Hedge funds have done significantly worse than stocks and seem to have a very high correlation if you look at this, other than the fact they've been sitting in cash in the last couple of years while the market's been going up. Right. So, pretty amazing. that what it may, Ethan. Yeah, I'm shocked. I'm surprised by this. I mean, to the degree in which they underperformed during the bull market, uh, there was a slight period of time when they outperformed. Uh, in 2007, maybe in 2008, but didn't save anything on the downside and then sen- subsequently have been more relative to the market. Terrible. Meanwhile, year-to-date, we have uh, the Dow Jones up almost 17%. You have the S&P up 16%. You have the World Stock Index up about 10.25. Emerging markets are still uh, negative for the year, Ethan, mm-hmm. at 5.39. And that's something I would keep my eye on. Uh, I think if people are talking about Areas of the stock market being overpriced, which we've talked about, that the fact that we're hitting new highs doesn't necessarily mean that. Yeah. But uh, I certainly like it when things are cheap. And right. uh, so that would be something. Interest rates are up a little bit from last week in some of the key areas. The treasure, 10-year treasury at 2.12. <clears throat> Yield to maturity versus 2.02 last week. And uh, corporate bonds, if we look at the 10-year AAA, 2.71 versus 2.27. I have a couple articles on uh, fixed income yield that I got off the Wall Street Journal that we could talk about today. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's so, been a continuing topic. You know, based on the yields here, it would appear that as the market, stock market has done better, people have been, in general, selling bonds, it looks like, to uh, move money elsewhere. Typically, that would drive the prices of the uh, bond funds down and the, mm-hmm. and the yields up. Right. Um, Real quick, the 10-year Treasury uh, inflation protected. I like to look at that. It's at 2.17 uh, is the uh, break-even rate right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, last week it was 2.26. So so apparently the market isn't isn't worried about high inflation right now. So it continues to yep. have a low forward expectation of uh, in inflation. And the CPI seasonally adjusted was down negative uh, four-tenths of a percent for April, hmm. ending in April. Um, so there you have it, kind of a, an overview. Um, and real quick, Ethan, your date, the number one performing asset class is small cap growth at 19.48. Yeah. Uh, small values at 16%. Mm-hmm. So, Ethan, we were just, we, we're going to have to take a quick break. When we do, we were talking, I've got an article here about uh, fees I'd like to talk about, and then a list of things you put together and um, the value an advisor would add. Right. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with Empirical Investing Radio. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. 
That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host here, Ethan Brogan, alongside Ken Smith. Yee-haw! Thank you very much. Just glad to be here. Uh, you know, Ken, in the previous section, we were just going to segue, it looks like, to a, a new part of the show. We're going to be talking about uh, an article here, it looks like, from uh, Burton Malkiel. Uh, yeah, you know, I like to keep it fresh, Ethan. I saw the headline, and it, it, it was kind of grabbing me. Um, Eric sent me a list of articles. What's with the beverages, bro? Sorry about that. Okay. It's just Diet Coke. Okay. I know your parts. You've been working hard. burn a lot of (laughs) energy. Right. Anyway, uh, Burton G. McKill, which is one of the reasons why it always catches my eyes, he's an academic from Princeton. And he had a a very profound and meaningful effect on my career because early on I read his book. It's called Random Walk Down Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was very enlightening. And I would recommend our listeners out there that that's, that's an investment staple. Even though it's old, it's been updated through multiple versions. Yeah, and he has other books. Many editions. But the concepts are very relevant. And he wrote this in the 70s. And since that time, the the actual uh, results and the continued studies have, have only continued to uh, substantiate his proposition that markets are fairly efficient. It's pretty tough to beat them through traditional investment management approaches mm-hmm. if we are doing it and we are attempting to do it in our portfolios for our clients to add value over the general stock market uh, we're doing it through better engi- through use of a better engineering of the portfolio not through trying to outsmart the market in traditional ways that stock and bond pickers do right so anyway it says you're paying too much for investment help index funds have far outperformed the average active manager and at a far lower cost to the investor. Um, something that I'm always very sensitive about, as you know, Ethan, is getting confused between help and product. And so the title I already have, a, I take a little bit of issue with in, in that is it could be misleading into saying, hey, any kind of investment help is, is, is too much. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll come back to that. From 1980 to 2006, the U.S. financial services sector grew from 4.9% to 8.3% of GDP. A substantial share of that increase represented increases in asset management fees, excluding index funds. 
These have risen substantially as a percentage of assets managed. In my judgment, investors have received no benefit, this is Burton's proposition, from the increase in expense ratios. And it's actually a little shocking that, that expenses have gone up be- overall because I thought they've been coming down, um, not by choice from the active brokerage world, but as we saw in the commission yeah, right. world, right, the, yeah. the big investment banks and all. Leave the names unnamed here, but not very hard for you to know who I'm talking about. For many years, they had a monopoly on the way commissions were set. They were actually fixed. And it was actually our friend Chuck Schwab that worked on um, and campaigned to try to get those commissions unfixed so that brokerage firms, for example, could be removed and price it at whatever they want it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for some, it was interesting back then in the 70s, because for some people, they actually used it as an opportunity to increase their commissions. I don't know if you were that. I don't we'll think I, about that I did not much. know that. Uh, well, companies like Schwab and others that followed suit actually came out and discounted the commissions. Um, so that trend and, and the spotlight on the investment expenses, and there's a huge amount of scrutiny right now that, that we see on 401k plans that people have basically been getting right. pillaged in these 401k plans because the investment companies and insurance companies that were running these things um, could hide those fees pretty pretty well from the average participant. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's everywhere now in, yeah. in the investment news stuff. Same thing, though, for, for mutual funds. For a long time, I've been seeing discussion about fees and so it's, it kind of surprises me that that uh, Burton here is saying that, that the fees on average have gone up. Um, the increase in fee could be justified if it reflected increasing returns for investors from active management or if it improved the efficiency of the market. Neither of these arguments holds. Actively managed funds of publicly traded securities have consistently underperformed index funds by roughly the differential in fees charged. And all they're saying here is that Active management as a whole, we've talked about the simple yeah. mathematics of the market. All of us investing in the market as a collective will get market returns. We can't all beat the market. We can't all not beat the market, except for the fact that the fees imposed reduce our return over the gross market return. Mm-hmm. So you and I and Julia and Lynn could all get the same return um, collectively or even individually, but if they pay 2% to get that a gross return of 10, and you and I only pay one, well, yeah, we've outperformed. And in effect, that's what's going on. Index funds are getting the market returns for their investors minus a much lower expense than actively managed funds. Right. That's all my man Bert's saying here. Yep. There are uh, substantial economies of scale in asset management. Um, it. Oh, by the way, passive portfolios that held all the stocks in the broad-based index have substantially outperformed the average active manager since 1980. So the 1980 reference is because they were looking at the cost over that period. Therefore, the increase in fees likely represents a deadweight loss for investors. There are substantial economies of scale in asset management. It is no more costly to place an order for 20,000 shares of stock as it is for 10,000 shares. The same annual report and similar filings to the SEC are required whether an investment fund has $100 million or $500 million in assets. The due diligence required for the investment manager is no different for a large mutual fund than for a small one. 
Modern technology has fully automated such tasks as dividend collection, tax reporting and client statements, and academic research has documented substantial economies of scale in mutual fund administration. In 1980, the equity fund mutual fund industry managed less than $26 billion. By 2010, the equity assets of mutual of the mutual fund industry totaled almost $3.5 trillion. Wow. Phenomenal growth. Wow. Part of that makes sense because there's a lot more the value of the market's worth a lot more. Mm, yeah. Substantial economies of scale could have been passed on to the individual investors, resulting in lower expense ratios. But those economies appear to have been entirely captured by the asset managers. The same finding holds for asset managers who cater to institutional investors. In 1980, the annual expense ratio for all funds, as measured by Lipper, was 66 basis points. In 2010, the equivalent asset-weighted ratio was 69.2 basis points. But in 2010, almost 30% of mutual fund uh, assets were invested in low-cost index funds, which represented an insignificant share of the assets in 1980. Thus, the annual expense ratios for active funds actually rose to 91 basis points from the original 66. <laughs> wow. You have to account for the fact that there was hardly anybody investing in index funds back in 1980. Right, which are cheaper. That's correct. So uh, the total expenses paid to the equity mutual fund managers increased 141 times. $24 billion went to $170 million. And, uh, of course, when the stated fee as a percentage of assets, these fees do look low, close to 1% of assets. But compare them with the returns produced. The overall stock market returns, say, average 7% a year. Fees of 1% point uh, are actually about 14% of the returns. So, you know, he goes on, Ethan, I don't well, I have to, to read the, the whole thing, but he says, the lesson here for investors is clear. You can't control what markets do, something we say, say all the time. But you can control the cost you pay. The less you pay to purveyors of investment services, the more there will be for you. The quintessential low-cost investment vehicles are index funds, which should comprise the core of every investment portfolio. The high fees charged for active management cannot be justified. So what do you have to say about that? Well, the summary, obviously, uh, is pretty reasonable. Um, the high fees charged for active management can't be justified. Well, no doubt about that. I think we'd all agree that index funds or index-like funds are the way to go in terms of picking your investments, that's for sure. Now, obviously, there are other things to consider out there when, when working with advisors, and I think that's probably what we're going to talk about next is my guess. Yeah, I think I want to reiterate there's a difference between getting sound financial advice and comprehensive financial advice um, and Putting money into a product in which you never even talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. There is no financial advice. The, the advice is distilled down to someone managing a giant pool of money for thousands of investors all in the same bucket, right? Mm-hmm. And just picking a few securities with the idea that they're going to beat some market index. Mm-hmm. How much would you pay for that? Yeah, I wouldn't pay. Knowing what you know. Well, I wouldn't pay anything for that. <laughs> right? Exactly. The only reasonable approach to that, in my view, and we've talked about this, would be to say that I'm going to charge what an index fund charges uh, to run my fund or whatever, but I want a percentage of any additional return I can get you. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And uh, But there'd have to be some 
some downside risk management on that. But but that would be something of a performance based fee. Could even be, hey, I don't get paid anything. If if that's your proposition, if you're out there putting a product together, which you don't help anyone with their comprehensive financial situation, you're just picking securities or creating products. Then put your money where your mouth is and say, I'm only going to get paid. I'll, I'll get a greater percentage of the gain above the index. So I get nothing if all I do is match the index, right? Or I get the six basis points it would cost me to buy the ETF to track the large U.S. company, mm-hmm. part of the market. I get my six basis points, but I don't get anything above that unless I beat the index. Then I get a greater proportion of that. So even hedge funds, if they did more of that, but they do this 2 and 20 thing or where they get at least 1% just for managing the fund, and then they get 20% of the profit. That was 2%. It is, but I'm trying to be generous. Oh, that's nice to you. say they were. Yeah. Okay. But um, it, it's it's kind of ridiculous, right? Sure. Would you Would you take that bet? No. But they convince a lot of people to do it. Well, the sound the story sounds pretty darn good. Is uh, I'm sure the reason why, right? Yeah. They don't dress it up like we're talking about it now. Certainly, it's uh, more of a hey, let's make this look as good as possible. Only talk about whatever benefits there might be, and not talk about the the things that might erase those benefits. Alrighty then. That's right. So, uh, what we're going to talk about, we're going to probably take a break before we get too deep into it, but what I'd like to talk about and be crystal clear about it, with Burton here, he's saying, that's what he's talking about, is putting your money into investment product. Right. You really shouldn't pay anything above a, a, a traditional index fund, unless there's some economic reason or some fundamental reason in terms of the engineering of the fund that they've been able to show that they're going to add some value mm-hmm. um, but not by just picking the securities and that that's you know the, it's it's great that we're up to 30% now of the money in passive investments because when we started doing this just a few years ago it was something like 15% so the quotes I would say yeah um, and again in 19 it was it was probably less than a couple of percent <laughs> mm-hmm uh, at some point, I see this getting up to 50% or beyond in the next few years because guys like us keep pounding away at this, at the overwhelming data um, that's out there. But that has nothing to do with what you should pay to get sound financial advice. Right. You know, it's like saying don't pay your accountant, just buy an index fund. Well, those are completely separate things. You need to get your taxes done, and hopefully you're getting them done in a way where you're not paying excessive amounts. Well, let's talk about that more. Either when we come back, we got to take a quick break. Okay. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. 
Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back, Empirical Investing Radio. I think this is our, our third segment of today's show, and uh, we're just wrapping up a conversation about an article written by Burton Malkiel that appeared in the WallStreetJournal.com uh, here recently, talking about paying for investment help, and specifically fund fees, mutual fund fees, versus uh, active funds, you know, those that are trying to outperform the market, versus index funds. And uh, Burton makes a pretty good case that uh, the, the fees for your more traditional active approach uh, to investment funds have, have actually gone up over the last 30 years, which is kind of surprising, um, but really haven't delivered any extra returns to investors, and therefore it makes sense to, in this case, use low-cost index funds. And if you're paying anything more than that, it, it's too much. And again, I think we're gonna, you were making a good point for the break that it's a different discussion, I think, with, with uh, just purely talking about investments. Which investment vehicles should you use? Um, versus, hey, are you getting qualified and, and helpful financial guidance on a multitude of other types of uh, financial decisions, right? That's right. Big difference there between the two. They are different. And even when you're dealing with just the investment advice, I wanted to clarify this. You made a good point during the break, Ethan, mm-hmm. is that too often we see investors that are shortcutting themselves from either reducing risk in their portfolio, um, getting the right asset allocation that they should be in. They're in a completely inappropriate mix of riskier investments, uh, to conservative investments for their time period, their needs, their w- willingness, ability, and need to take risk. Um, and so they're missing out on that. And and uh, they, they, they do this because they read an article or somebody that they really clung on to about, well, I don't pay fees. We, we joke about that Susie Orman clip thing. <laughs> There's a thing on the web that is a uh, day in the life of a financial advisor. Yeah, that's right. It's on a clean YouTube. version I've, and a, one that's not so... I've, just warning everyone, and uh, but there's a section of that where the the uh, advisor is starting to ask questions, and the, the the prospective client that he's sitting with is immediately saying, "Susie Orman told me I should never pay fees," and right. she keeps yelling, "Susie Orman, Susie Orman," and it's true. You hear somebody like out of context or in one particular situation, or you read this art- an article like this, and and 
suddenly someone winds up at Vanguard with a couple of index funds that are completely inappropriate for their overall objectives, but they're very sure about one thing. They're not paying to get any help, mm-hmm. so they're saving a bundle there, but they've, they've oftentimes missed huge opportunities that would pay multiple lifetimes of, of fees to a sound advisor that's not overcharging mm-hmm. in the right context. Um, and it, 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 it does bother me to no end when we see that. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, we, we were talking about right before the, right, during the break, rather. Is it just a function of then of finding the lowest cost provider in an index fund? Is that the, to the degree in which you're going to you know, pick who you're going to work with or pick how you're going to invest? If that's true, you can, I can save you tons of time and just go out and buy you know, the, the Schwab large cap ETF. It's four basis points. If that's the, that, that, if that's the determinant, right? But clearly there's a lot of other things going on in, in, in factoring on what you should buy and how, how you should own it. Right? What, what is your asset allocation? If you own large cap ETF at Schwab, well, gee, do you have any other asset classes there other than one? Well, no. Hey, they're, they're all just instruments, just as if you were going into an operating room. Um, a doctor could pay different levels of cost for the instruments he's using. Yeah. Right? He's got scalpel, maybe one's $1,000, maybe he got one, one for $800. Yeah. I don't know, you know, but really it's not about what you paid for the, for the scalpel. It's about, do you know how to use that? Do you really want me slicing you open? Right. Uh, no. That's a, that's a very dramatic they're, example. They're all, they're all just instruments, right? Um, and what what I would take away from that is, hey, if if I if I'm not willing to put the time in just on the investment side alone to educate myself on how to do this, and then figure out how I can remove my emotional issues from that investment strategy, mm-hmm. um, I what I would be doing is a filter when I look for my the advice I'm getting is making sure that my advisor isn't falling victim to putting my money in expensive product that yeah. adds zero value. Right. Right? That's uh, the key of this whole thing. Sure. Uh, you it summarized, but I, I, I was thinking as you're talking, it'd be like being, being a golfer, right? And you only have one club to use versus the whole whole bag of clubs you can get at Costco for 500 bucks. And you know what? Talking. I'm only going to spend 50 bucks on a club. I'm going to buy the what one? The pitching wedge, right? Well, good luck getting a good score playing, uh, playing a round of golf with just a pitching wedge. It's not going to work out. Okay. Right? Similarly with the other clubs, you can go... You know, you have the driver. You have all kinds of other things that help you get a better score when you uh, use them properly. Good point. So you had this uh, board here: fifty things what a professional financial advisor does for you. Right. And I don't know if we need to go through all fifty here, Ethan. But in the context I don't think we have of this fee discussion, outside of <laughs> I don't know if be enough time. <laughs> outside of uh, outside of just picking securities for exorbitant fees. Like I said, you, it should be a, a part of your process and screening of a financial advisor. should not necessarily be what their fees as much as it should be. Are they picking investments that are expensive with the idea that those investments are trying to, to beat the stock market through traditional means? Um, right. But now, you're, now we're getting on to what should I be paying a fee for? Um, and so you have financial planning, investments, taxes, person-to-person here in this, these categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one on their list here, they have cares, cares more about you and your money than anyone who doesn't share your last name. So what do they do for you? I guess they, they care about, about your financial situation, and they're looking for ways to yeah. improve your financial situation. Right. And that isn't just, there's so many ways that goes on. I mean, as an advisor, 
it, it isn't always just about, in fact, it's never just about the investments. That is one big component of it. And it's probably the most visible for folks because they can easily log on to their accounts and check out what the recent performance is or, you know, we always hear about the stock market updates on, on the news or whatever. But that is the one, that's the most visible part of it. I think there's tons of things that go on sort of beneath the surface that are, are probably equally important, I think, through time. You know, like, like we talked about, getting the investments allocation correct, understanding, well, why you're taking the risk that you're taking with the portfolio, um, integrating that, those decisions with your long-term retirement goals, right? That's a, it's a huge deal. Um, understanding taxes, how does that work? Understanding how the estate implications are for your portfolio. You know, a lot of things go into those decisions. And I think that the person who wrote that is correct, that uh, it would be nice if you had somebody who cares as much about your money as you do. And, and paying for a qualified advisor is the, is the closest thing you're going to get to that. Guide you to think about areas of your financial life you may not have considered. Yeah. So you always say you don't know what you don't know. That's true. We meet with folks or talk with folks from time to time who, um, you know, we do those five secrets of retirement success seminars uh, pretty regularly. And a lot of times people who come to those things or who are invited are, are invited from um, folks who are representatives at Schwab. We have a good partnership with them. And they tell me up front a lot of times, the representatives, hey, this person's coming, but he's not interested in hiring an advisor. I just thought it'd be good information for them to, to learn about, which is very reasonable. Uh, that sounds good. I, I'm, I encourage them to, to invite folks like that to the, to the presentation. And we go through you know, the hour-long seminar, and at the end of the seminar, a lot of times we'll have some questions and things. But I am truly surprised uh, by the number of people who have come to us uh, going into the summer saying, hey, I don't want to work with an advisor because they have this preconceived notion about what an advisor does, which is, in their mind, not much. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd be working well, with one. Attempting to pick securities to underperform for them is the experience a lot of people yeah. have had. And with that reason, I can see why they don't want to work with right. an advisor. I wouldn't. Sure. And I'd, yeah, I wouldn't either. But when they go, we go through the seminar and, and hit, these are just some of the key five ideas. There's, there's tons of other things, but those are the, some of the, the big ones we discuss in the seminar. Um, they actually come to us after the fact and say, hey, let's get together and talk this over. I didn't realize that advisors can do so much, right? We're hitting on, on Social Security decisions. We're, we're hitting on Roth conversions decisions. We're hit, hitting on asset placement, asset location decisions. You know, what, how does that all fit into your overall retirement plan decisions? It's a lot of, of work and a lot of things that people were not aware of. And so I think it's, that's right. People don't know what they don't know. An advisor can a good advisor will help you formalize your goals and put them in writing. Yeah. If you don't know where you're going, how are you going to get there? They'll help you prioritize your financial opportunities. Yeah. It's one of the first things that we do. We'll take a look at um, uh, an inventory of any, any new client situation and, again, prioritize exactly that. Figure out, well, what are we going to tackle first? We can't do everything all, everything out one time. Um, so let's make sure we get the, the biggest things first and, and go on down the list after, after we've organized them. They'll help you determine realistic goals. Yeah, that's true. I mean, have you ever had a client with, or, a, or met an investor or a person that had unrealistic goals? Sure, sure. Mm. Sometimes that's true. Um, it's a difficult decision because um, a lot of times those things are a difficult conversation, I should say, sometimes. Um, some people may say, hey, I, I expect that you're going to be getting me out of the market before it declines. And I, I have to tell them, well, hang on a second. That isn't what you're signing up for. I already know I don't know the future exactly. But that's why we invest the way that we do. We're going to help you construct a plan that will get you through the difficult times. And they not shouldn't avoid be them. signing up for that for any advisor. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they may sign up with another advisor who is promising exactly that. They'll be sorely disappointed when a downturn in the market comes and they somehow. You know, or an upturn comes just like these hedge fund managers that they didn't and get they to miss participate it. in. Right. Uh, so you shouldn't be 
subscribing to anyone or yourself for that type of that that would be a completely unrealistic goal if you're approaching the market that way i would agree with that um i've met people over the years ethan they come and they say well i want to take 10 or 12 percent a year out of my portfolio and i want it to last forever and grow yeah um particularly in this environment and their approach to doing that might be well i found a particular high yield bond fund or, or preferred stock that pays that yeah so why are you telling me i can't do that and why you know so it, it really is a process of, of understanding what's realistic. And yeah. There's an education around that a lot of times. And, and I would say this. If you get somebody who's, uh, hey, I, I found a, a preferred stock or something that is paying 10% or… Currently, uh, it's master limited partnerships that are a big deal. Right. You know, those, are big, those are big yields. I mean, what's the deal there? I'm getting 10%. No one, an investor does not know anything about the risk inherent in that security. It'll pay 10% until, guess what? It doesn't pay 10% anymore. It goes to zero. So there's much more risk inherent in something that is paying uh, far above market rate of interest or, or return. Um, that has to be true. Um, just as an investor, you may not know what that is. A good advisor will study possible alternatives that could meet your goals. So more than one, but many uh, possible alternatives. Oh, sure. That happens all the time. I mean, we talk with folks about making decisions about, for example, uh, paying off your mortgage or, or not paying off your mortgage. You know, should I, should I keep it or not keep it? Well, we can run different retirement plans in areas to see how that decision affects the outcome of your retirement. How much money can you spend during retirement with either choice? That's just an example, but there are multiple scenarios which we can run um, to help them make an educated decision on, on what to do in the real, real world. Good advisor will prepare a financial plan and or an investment policy statement for you. Yeah, well, we do both of those things. We have a. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be investing if you don't have one or both of those. Yeah, I would say that's true. Without those documents, uh, how do you know what you're doing it for or what the, the, the characteristics of the portfolio are? Any of those things, it's just you making decisions blindly without those things. It doesn't make any sense. And that would be a good example. Like I said, people open an account at Vanguard and they have a fund, but they really have no plan around where they're going or what they're doing. Um, very likely that they're not maximizing every opportunity outside of that direct investment. Right. A lot of times you get investment advice from magazines, financial magazines like Money Magazine or something. Uh, nothing wrong with reading the magazine, nothing, nothing wrong there, but to, to have that be your exclusive source in, in, in how you make decisions, uh, that is not a, not a good... You know, <laughs> There's decision. a variety of flaws in that approach, um, which are they're, they're very point-in-time recommendations. Um, we're going to have to take a, a quick break, but uh, and we'll, we'll go through a few more of these in our last segment, Ethan. Sounds great. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. 
Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to the show Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith here. You know, we're just going through um, a list of 50 things, actually. I don't, I don't think we'll cover them all today, about things that your advisor uh, does for you. Um, piggybacking that on top of uh, the article about you're paying too much in fees uh, for investment help by Burton Malkiel. Yeah, that was in the, in the Wall Street Journal opinion section. Mm-hmm. If you want to check it out, May 28th. And that's all we're saying here, Ethan, is that you... There are two different things, and if you have an advisor and you're not getting, uh, if all you're getting out of it is them picking securities or putting you into actively managed expensive funds, uh, you really should get rid of them. I, I mean, I hate to say, to say that, but you should. And what should you exchange that advisor for? Not someone who does the same thing, not even someone who does the same thing at a lower, lower cost. cost. Right. You need somebody who's doing other things, and so uh, we're just clicking through some of those, like preparing a financial plan for you. And not just once. A lot of companies farm out the, the financial planning, and they have someone in a center somewhere else cranking out a 100-page document, which is pretty much templated for the most part. Very little out-of-the-box stuff here. Yeah. You talked about paying off a mortgage or not. They might cover some. What about if you have a business? Um, you know, and you want to look at different scenarios or ideas about how you evolve out of that that business over time. Right. Uh, most of these generic things don't cover things of that rate. rate. Um, the analysis of doing Roth conversions that you do you know, for our clients, Ethan, that it's an ongoing year after year process mm-hmm. um, that requires running tax returns. So we run those tax returns. Yep. Um, mock tax returns and things like that, and, and real detailed analysis, Social Security. A lot of other things, the retirement plan is constantly should be evolving yep. um, and, and being rechecked because you put a plan together, you already know that market returns are not going to be exactly year-to-year what's in that plan. Yeah, sure. Um, you already know that your life is going to be changing uh, in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. And and so every year you, you want to you have someone who can put a plan together and update that plan with you over the course of your lifetime. And not only that, but you want someone that really can understand your values. What, what is it you're really trying to accomplish? What gets you the most juice out of life from your financial resources and is looking for opportunities to help you accomplish that? So if you have things like charitable inclination or maybe you have kids or grandkids that you want to creative ways of helping them to go through school. Mm-hmm. Some people want to pay for the whole thing. Some people want to have their kids. But what a once you know what those objectives are, the advisor should be bringing solutions and tax laws and things are changing all the time. Uh, here in Washington, there was a change recently with the Washington State 
um, tax for couples, and somebody who's kind of keeping in tune with with all of these things and the latest techniques, but doesn't just have someone in another place crank out a a, a generic plan, then go well here here you go. Now let's get back to what I really want to do, which is just put you in the expensive products, and we never revisit the plan again, or we never really revisit the investment policy again. And it should be continuously. It should be a relationship that develops, much like a fine wine, Ethan, over time. <laughs> uh, assist you in, in, a, uh, in re- recommending life insurance policies to protect your family. A good advisor should do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just be leery. If they're leading in with that, and they're leading in with that, and they get a commission for doing that, get a second or third opinion. Yes. Would be my advice. Doesn't mean you shouldn't work with them. Right. Uh, I'm not willing to go quite that far, but I would say then if 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 that's what they're leading in, hey, we start the relationship with a financial plan. That financial plan immediately leads into a list of insurance products, in which I would incl- I would include, by the way, variable annuities with that. Yes. Anything that has anything to do with insurance, or, and we're huge. I'm, insurance is one of the most powerful financial tools in the market in the right situations, in yeah. the right policies. Right, I agree. We utilize it here individually in our company and mm-hmm. every aspect of everything we do. Um, but it's not it's not the, the starting solution for everything. Um, it, it, like the other things, are instruments, just like low-cost investments are instruments. Right. Uh, so when, when somebody's leading in with an insurance policy, you, you need to really be uh, – you need to go after a second opinion – uh, preferably by someone who doesn't get a commission. So we don't get a commission from that. But if we did, I'm not saying that in itself is bad. But I would have no problem with someone going. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna get a second opinion. Yeah, sure. Uh, assist you in setting up a company retirement plan. You know, if you if you have a small business, a good advisor should be aware of what of how you're earning your income. Should be very acutely aware. If your advisor is not asking periodically to see copies of your tax return, that's a warning flag. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, they, sh- they should be interested in knowing that and how you're deriving it if you have your own business. And talking about the alternatives to uh, help you plan and use the tax code to your advantage. Right, or even what different types of retirement plans would be appropriate given your situation. Yeah. You know, SEP, simples, 401ks, whatever else. Um, Assisting in estate planning, mm-hmm. uh, helping you to, to prepare an estate plan with good legal counsel. Reviews your uh, custodial accounts, 529 plan. So all forms of educational planning and, and uh, planning for, for, for children and mm-hmm. grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Helping you determine your IRA uh, required minimum distribution. Um, I say, Ethan, uh, you're the expert on this, but uh, there's a lot of planning that should go on long before the RMDs at 70 and a half. <laughs> what a great. Because there's very little choices to make at that point other than the calculation that goes on. Yeah, the RMD is, is what the requirement is. It is. There's nothing you can do about that. But certainly you, you, one decision there would be, hey, uh, now I'm 70 and a half. I have to take required minimum distributions out. Should I take any more out in a particular year? What would I do that for? And should I, could, you, could you convert some of that money to a Roth potentially? Um, or, or should I take that and put it in my taxable account? You know? There could be situations where things change year to year, and certainly a tax analysis on an annual basis is very reasonable. You know, if you have one year of lower income than other years, you should take advantage of that as an opportunity to do more from an IRA at that point. Mm-hmm. Suggests alternatives to lowering your taxes during retirement. Reviews your tax returns with an eye to possible savings in the future. Mm-hmm. Stays up to date on tax laws. 
helps you reduce your taxes, reposition investments, take advantage of tax law provisions. Sure. Uh, those are all things in the tax area. Meets with you person to person to monitor your financial, your life, and your family situation. Now that we were saying that article about mutual funds, it doesn't matter using index funds or the, the managers have, don't care and have no idea about what's going on in your in your personal life. Right. They're doing it. They're doing what they're doing, but they shouldn't be looked at as your financial advisor or advice provider. Right. Uh, it shares the experience of dozens or hundreds of his clients um, who have faced circumstances similar to yours. That's a big deal. I think that's uh, uh, something that is less less thought of. I mean, I talk about this in our retirement presentations that everybody in the room only retires one time. Basically, get one chance to do it right. And you know, we've had the the, the pleasure of working with literally hundreds of hundreds of people on planning out their retirement. We have more experience. We have more than one chance to get it right. You know, we've had lots and lots of uh, repetitions, as it were. Yes. Therefore, I think we're, much, we're, we're far better and more aware of things than anybody who's coming off the street uh, having never, never done it before. I, I couldn't disagree with that, Ethan. I couldn't disagree with that. Very reasonable. So, and how much time we have here? A minute or two? Um, no, 30 seconds. Well, I want to remind you to, uh, there's a whole list of these, Ethan. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll just periodically interweave them in our programming here. Sounds great. Uh, I want to remind you to go to our website, empirical.net, and check out Ethan's. Uh, how many secrets are we up to now? Well, I'm working on the sixth. Uh, <laughs> oh, we have five on, on the website. Five secrets to retirement success. Yeah, look under what we do under retirement, and you'll see the video there along with our, our handy brochure on the five secrets of retirement success. Check it out. We have a blog. We update all the time, uh, empirical.net, and uh, email us or call us to get that free book. Thanks a lot. That's that's the conclusion of our show. Have a great week, and we'll be back next week with Empirical Investing Radio. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.